Welcome to episode 171 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, We're talking pounds of meat for free plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years. And it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood. There's a lack of transparency. It can be hard to know what you're actually getting. And it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished. Their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IFPodcast with code IFPodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 171 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am fabulous. How are you? I'm good. What is new in your life? Well, Fast Feast Repeat had a second week on the New York Times bestseller list, which is a unexpected thrill. So very exciting. That's very thrilling. It is thrilling. It's just absolutely, it's bananas. And I'm just so grateful again, like I said last time, but I wasn't expecting it. You know, it was on there, then it fell off the next week. So I was like, all right, that was a good run. We got on there. I didn't realize that. It was on a, yeah, it got back on. Yeah. Interesting. 
I know. You know, because the first week included pre-orders, but then, you know, the second week it popped off. So I was like, all right, well, you know, the first week was just a good a good first week thanks to those pre-orders. But for it to pop back on again, that was really, really exciting and very unexpected. So maybe it was like all the pre-orders and then there was a little bit of time for all the reviews to pop up. Maybe. The momentum could have started again. I'm just so really excited about having, you know, a traditionally published book. You know, it's going to be in Costco, Canada, I found out. That's really exciting. It's going to be translated into Italian and Spanish. They're working on that now. Or not, they're not literally, do not look for it soon, people. <laughs> they're working on the deal <laughs> for getting it translated. So it's, things don't move quickly in the publishing world. So I want to make sure to clarify that. Or like two weeks from now, people will be saying, where is it in Spanish? It could be a long, long time, but it's coming. That's what's exciting. It's very exciting. Do you know German? Any German? Well, not yet. I haven't heard of that, but it's exciting, you know, that there's already interest in having them translated. But again, I have no idea how long it takes. I mean, it could take a year for all I know. I just really don't know because it's out of my hands. You know, I certainly can't translate it into Spanish or Italian or German, but that's all happening behind the scenes. I remember for mine, the first translation was Czech, which was so random. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) Good times. What other languages did it get translated into? I don't think any others. I think just Czech. I had people reach out and be like, can I translate it to this? Or like asking, requesting. I was like, I have no control. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I can't. It's already. And I don't know if I've talked. Well, no, that was Delayed on Deny. Delayed on Deny is in South Korea in the process of being published there. And also Vietnamese. Oh, my. That's Delayed on Deny. So, yeah. I saw a cover. It looked so interesting. I'm like, I have no idea what that says. They're like, approve this cover. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> it might say anything. I don't know. I'm going to take your word for it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It really is fun. I'm just so excited and, you know, grateful for the way it's worked out. Anything new with you? I just listened to James Nestor on Joe Rogan the other day. He wrote that book, Breathe. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen it. It's been on some of the lists <laughs> since I've been looking at the lists. Yeah, I just feel like he's everywhere. So I emailed him and he's coming on the show, (laughs) which is really exciting. And I decided to get my deviated septum fixed too. (laughs) That sounds scary. So I can breathe. (laughs) I learned a lot. So these are the things. Hopefully it's not as bad as LASIK. Oh my gosh. It all sounds scary. Eyes, nose, anything in the face region. Like stay away from that. (laughs) So true. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes, let's get started. Okay, so to start things off, we have some super random, it's very random email from a listener. This is from Jana. The subject is episode 138. She says, Hi, Melanie and Jen. I've been binge listening to this podcast and love it, but I promised myself I wouldn't email in until I finished listening to all the episodes. LOL. Well, I made it this far and I just wanted to drop you a quick line. I will finish listening before I ask any questions. At the beginning of this episode, Melanie mentions the greenhouses (laughs) made her think of murder, but she couldn't recall the correlation. I have the same correlation with greenhouses and since it's 
gems from movie trivia, I couldn't help but break my pack to myself to help you out in case we have the same basis for our memory. I correspond murder to greenhouses from the movie The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Annabella Skior's character gets murdered in the greenhouse by the greenhouse. I'm sure there's others, but that's just one that stuck with me. And I wanted to yell out the answer to you while I was listening. I'm a sucker for movie trivia. Anyway, I'm going to go back to finishing all the episodes now, and I'll write you lovely ladies again soon. Jana. Thank you, Jana. I've never seen that movie, <laughs> nor heard of it. So, Oh, you haven't heard of The Hand That Rocks the Cradle? No, I should have. Is it old? It's an old movie. I mean, that's really kind of funny because... It's iconic? No, because old is like relative. (laughs) So is it old? No. Is it from when I was a young adult? Yes. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a classic now. When does something become a classic? I don't know. It's 1992. I just looked it up. So 1992. There was like a nanny or something in it. I can't remember. Rebecca De Mornay... Yeah, it was a nanny, a vengeful, psychopathic nanny. I remember watching it. Do you remember The Greenhouse? No. Okay. (laughs) I do not. But it is giving me flashbacks to when we had to tear down our greenhouse (laughs) to sell our house. So good times. (laughs) It is weird, actually, like you just said. It's hard to know, like, what qualifies as different eras in movies, like classics versus, I don't know, because I feel like just the other day, it was the 90s for me. I was already, you know, working. I had graduated from college and I was an adult by 92. So I was married by then. So I was already a grown grown person. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, definitely. Thank you, Jana. All right. We have a question from Josephine. The subject is champagne plus restaurant meals. So, you know, I like the sound of that already, Josephine. She says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I feel like I'm writing to two close friends since I literally have listened to your podcasts daily since quarantine began. I started IF on June 7th, so today marks my 22nd day of approximately 17-7. Some days I do 16-8. Other days, if I'm not hungry, I'll go 18-6 or even 19-5. I have so many questions, but two that linger, haven't been answered during my binge listening, pertain to subjects both of you seem expert on. One, alcohol, Melanie, and two, big meals for dinner, especially at restaurants, Jen. My alcohol question pertains to champagne. And now that I think about it, since Jen has talked extensively about loving the bubbly, maybe she might chime in too. I, like Jen, prefer the bubbly. In fact, the only alcohol I enjoy drinking is champagne and vodka. Despite being Italian, I hate wine and actually get headaches from the sulfites in wine, so I avoid it. Could you guys speak to how champagne is metabolized and when is the optimal time for me to drink it during my eating window? In the past, pre-IF, I always enjoyed sipping a glass of champagne or a vodka with club soda before starting dinner, especially as a pre-dinner cocktail slash drink at restaurant dates with my husband of 22 years. Now I'm wondering if I have to always make a point of eating something before I enjoy my drink so as not to mess up the benefits of the fast. Melanie, can you speak to clear spirits as an IF or two? My diet mind has always believed clear spirits like vodka were lower carb and lower calorie and therefore, quote, better. But now I'm rethinking that. I do love vodka sodas. Should we stop and go ahead and answer that one, Melanie? 
Sure. We haven't talked about drinks in a while. Oh, did you get your congratulations present? I did. I did. Thank you so much. I thought I did. I not tell you that I got it. You did. I was like, I could have sworn I said, <laughs> yes, that's okay. I'm so upset. I sent Jen a champagne holder for her book release, but it came literally like a month later. That's all right. <laughs> Fail. But in any case, we haven't talked about alcohol and all of that stuff in quite a while, come to think of it. Well, so a few different questions here, Josephine. I'm not sure like specifically what you're asking about the optimal time, but basically drinking alcohol in general, despite what many people think, alcohol itself doesn't easily become fat or anything like that. But when you drink alcohol, it is immediately processed by the body. It's the preferential fuel and it's processed immediately. So if you're in the fasted state and you drink alcohol, you'll switch from burning fat or ketones to uh, burning alcohol. If you have it with food, the liver will process the alcohol before processing like other things in your food. It's the, the liver aspect where the preferential order is coming in, not necessarily like the stomach, if that makes sense. But in any case, so as far as what to drink or when to drink, well, a lot of us do find that when we practice fasting, that it if you have it in the fastest state, it often hits you a little bit faster. So if you do have it you know, before you eat on empty stomach, that's definitely something to be wary of. And a lot of people, I think, do find they're okay with like opening their window with a drink, but you really just have to find what works for you. Some people may find that, you know, it makes them hungrier or overeat. Ironically, it can be good for insulin sensitivity and things like that, but it really actually just depends on your personal blood sugar levels, like and how your body responds to blood sugar and things like that. Because some people pairing drink with food, it can help regulate their blood sugar and their response to the meal. But then some people might find they get, you know, like reactive hypoglycemia or a response they don't really like. I feel like I'm just going on and on. (laughs) As far as the clear spirits. So in my book, What, When, Wine, I talk all about alcohol there. If you have any questions about like the science of fat burning and weight loss related to it, definitely check that out because I do dive in deep. But I personally quote advocate clear spirits because, well, it's interesting. She says that her diet mind always believed that they were, you know, lower carb and lower calorie. The clear ones are basically the the closest you can get to not having additives or other things like that. Because whenever you see colors like rum or whiskey or things like that, those are added colors, I believe. Like it's stuff added. It's not the cleanest type, I guess is what I would say. And gluten can also potentially be an issue, but I know you're not really asking about that. What is her main question about it? What should she be drinking? What should she be drinking? I mean, it really just depends on what your goals are. (laughs) You know, like, is it, do you want to drink what makes you happy? Do you want to drink gluten-free? In which case you would be wanting to drink like potato-based vodkas or wine. She says she doesn't like wine. I do wonder if she says she thinks she reacts to the sulfites in wine. I wonder if she's tried dry farm wines. I was going to go there if you didn't. I'm glad you did. Because 
with dry farm wines, a lot of people often think it's like the sulfites and that's what they're reacting to, or maybe like the histamine. But you might be surprised if you try dry farm wines. They basically go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries that are practicing organic practices and then they test the wines to make sure the wines are low in alcohol, low in sugar, but also free of pesticides, free of mold, low sulfites, really actually, quote, clean wines, and they can be a game changer. So can I jump in with something here? Sure. It really is a game changer. I've switched to them completely personally here at home. That's all I drink at home now after resisting it for a long, long time. And, you know, I tried a different company that claimed to have clean wines, and I still have some of that left over. And last night I pawned some of that off on my husband because I'm trying to get rid of it. (laughs) And it was the equivalent. He drank the equivalent of one six-ounce glass of wine. And he's like, I feel awful. That is awful. What is this? Wait, this was a clean wine company? They claim to be a clean a clean wine company with no additives. They, it's very similar claims to dry farm wines. World's different. I mean, I cannot explain how different they are. But my husband has now become a total wine snob and didn't even really know what I poured him. He just drank what I put in front of him. And he's like, why do I feel so bad? And I'm like, sorry, it was that other wine. I'm like, do you want me to get rid of it and give it away? He said, yes. He wants me to give it away. I mean, I just wanted to say that. This is my husband who, you know, will go to five different grocery stores to buy the cheapest options at each one. Like he knows where he can find bread better than produce. I mean, he goes the circuit of the different stores. This is my husband who who loves to bargain shop is telling me to get rid of this other wine so we can only drink dry farm wine. I just had to throw that out there. That's how you know. It's true. Yeah, it's funny. My dad, the other day, I don't know if I said this already, he was in Florida, so he wanted to have some wine shipped to my house, I guess, so I could like receive it. And I was like, is this for me? I was like, because if it's for me, dad, I won't actually drink it. Sorry. <laughs> but but it was because um, I, I only drink dry farm wines now. But it was it was for him, so didn't matter. For listeners, though, you can actually you can get a bottle for a penny. So our link for that is dryformwines.com slash ifpodcast, bottle for a penny. There's some of the whites that I really, really like. And what you can do, because it's a mixed box, but if you find one that you really like, you can actually request like a box of just that one. FYI. You know, to the question of should she eat before she drinks? I would say yes, just because I would say emphatically yes, because alcohol can hit you differently if you've been fasting. So, you know, of course, alcohol does open your window officially. You're no longer fasting. But I absolutely would never recommend that you make it a a regular practice to drink alcohol without having food in there first. Just, you know, it just I, I noticed it hit me differently, you know, on an empty stomach. So just FYI. I will say, ironically, I don't know, I probably haven't had a drink, an actual drink in like, I don't know, a year and a half, maybe. Really? Not even a glass of wine in a year and a half? Probably not. I don't think so. I literally have like a sip every night, literally a sip of my dry wines. I know, I know that's crazy. I think it's more of like a routine thing. When I was drinking, I was drinking like about a glass a night and... I would open my window with it, but I was eat- I would always have it with like cucumbers and stuff like that. So it wasn't straight up, you know, by itself. It was with hydration. All right. So the second question, she says, my second question is regarding restaurant dinners. So I'm going to point it to you, Jen, mostly, since you speak often about eating out with your family and enjoying big meals. Actually, what's funny is I don't eat out much now. <laughs> 
I haven't eaten out in a long time other than like on a trip or on vacation, but I do like big meals. That's true. So she says, well, I too love to eat large at dinner now, but I'm either embarrassed at a restaurant to order too much food or very disappointed when the meal comes and it is super small, mostly because I know I'm going to be hungry still afterwards and wanting to eat more. Do you have tips for how you handle this, especially when on road trips? I found myself recently in the position of road tripping with my husband and kids. I have four teenagers, and they are snacking all day in the car, and I am fasting. Then when we go to dinner, I'm wanting a big meal, and they are just wanting a smaller bite to eat, and I'm feeling deprived and irritable as a result. After all, dinner is my chance to feast and really enjoy food. Thanks to you both in advance for answering my questions. Melanie, I relate to your constantly geeking out, my term, over the science of every last detail of the human body. And Jen, as a born and raised Southerner who now lives on the West Coast, your Southern twang and no-nonsense rational perspective, and also as a happily married mom of older kids— makes me nostalgic and feel right at home. Thanks so much, your friend, Josephine. So Josephine, I get that. You know, I've been on road trips. Like the last one I went on with my husband and our youngest son, we went to Miami on a cruise, just the three of us. It was a while back. Gosh, was it 2018 maybe? The summer of 2018. But I remember driving down there all the way down to Miami and all, you know, the frequent snacking. And I was like, all these frequent eaters, you know, and then at dinner time, I do remember being ready to eat, but they had eaten earlier. And I'm like, I need to eat right now. I'm ready to eat. So I do remember that feeling. But I want you to put your needs right out there. I would not be embarrassed about how much I ordered. I mean, you know that you've been fasting all day. You deserve to have the meal that you want. And if they just want to look at you funny, let them. I order exactly what I want at a restaurant. And even if, you know, I'm not going to eat every, like I might want to taste a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I might order several things that I know I'm not going to be able to finish all of it. But then I can take it all home and, you know, feed it to my husband for lunch the next day since he eats, you know, lunch every day. So, you know, I'm not wasting the food, but I'm having, you know, the tastes of what I want and, enjoying exactly how much it, it takes to make me feel satisfied. I am not good at, you know, remaining unsatisfied. So I get you on that. But don't feel, you know, embarrassed about it or, you know, if, if you're disappointed because the meal comes in it's small, get something else. I am never embarrassed to order something else. And, you know, because you're getting your needs met with food is very, very important. My thoughts on it, because I actually had a ton of thoughts on this question, especially when I was living in LA and this is actually a huge thing for dating too. Like when you're dating people and going out to dinner. <laughs> well, when I was with my family, I would just eat again when I got home every time, hands down. Well, I would order what I wanted. And then when they would all order dessert, I would usually finish off <laughs> the rest of their meals if they still had leftover like steak or chicken or something like that. And then I would always usually pretty much eat again when I got home. Same with dating. I would just usually eat more when I got home. There's no reason you can't eat more when you get home. If you're not wanting to, you know, eat more at the restaurant is my point. You could have a longer window. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I remember early on when I was dating, who is now my husband, he's like, wow, you can eat. (laughs) I mean, you know, that was early before we were even married. I'm like, yep, I can. I've just never been embarrassed by that. But that's me. Well, because normally, like, I, I don't think I would be able to eat like two restaurant meals while 
at the restaurant, but I'm always like, I would always still be hungry. That's why I would eat again. It's sort of like how people will eat at a restaurant and then they go home and eat dessert or they go home and eat popcorn or they go home and eat more. No reason you can't go home and eat more actual food. You know what we like to do? I said we don't go out very often, but when we do go out to eat, we'll sometimes go to a second restaurant just for dessert. Oh, yeah. We do that yeah, because we have one place we really love to go eat peanut butter pie here in Augusta. And for locals, that's the French Market Grill. We love their peanut butter pie. So we'll have dinner at one location and then head over to the French Market Grill and have, you know, a glass of wine and a piece of peanut butter pie. It's awesome. And we usually share it because that's you know really all we need. It's it's very rich. But I have a tactic that I like to use that I've learned over the years. Go ahead and cut it in half when it first comes to the table. And this is my half and that is your half. And do not touch my half. <laughs> I want my whole half. But I don't want to have to eat it really fast. So I'm going to eat it slow, take my time. But this is my half. We normally would order at the restaurant, but then I would just eat the other people's food. There's also the option of like... <laughs> Brazilian steakhouses and things like that. I think you'll be really covered. I've never been to one of those and we don't have one. Yeah. Oh, they don't have one? Like a Texas Day Brazil or a Fogo de Chao? We don't. I promise. Okay. No Whole Foods. We don't have a Whole Foods. We don't have a, <laughs> we don't have a lot of things. This is Augusta. I love Augusta, but we don't have those. It's weird because I don't think of Augusta as like a small. It's the second largest metro area in the state of Georgia, but it, it's not very... Why? Yep. So why does it not have stuff? That is a great question. Remember, we had a Whole Foods and it closed. So before then, there had never been a Whole Foods in the history of the world that had closed. It was right before they did the Amazon deal. And so they closed their 10 lowest performing stores. they had never closed one before. I think they were trying to make their balance sheet look better. Perhaps if that deal had never happened, we would not have lost our Whole Foods. Maybe we would have. I don't know. Well, maybe someday you can try a Fogo de Chow. I probably won't. That's not, you know, big old piles of meat or not. Really. Literally in my head, okay, I was going to say, Jen, you would probably like it. And then my second thought was, wait, no, you won't. You're not a big meat eater. Like they come around with meat, but there's also a huge salad bar. And it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of cheese, lots of like salad bar stuff. You would like it, I'm sure. Okay. That sounds good. I would like that. You could garnish it with fresh meat from the whatever they call it, whatever those things are that they carry. I don't know. But maybe one day I'll go to one of those. We'll see. So we have another question. This is from Sarah. The subject is so confused about fat. Sarah says, hi, gals. Long time listener here, but still dot, dot, dot. I am so confused about fat. On one hand, I hear Jen talk about eating all the butter and sour cream and still losing, and I've seen Butter Bob's videos. I keep hearing you can eat whatever you want in your window, but I understand that this is within the boundaries of satiety with good whole food, etc. But in a couple of the podcasts, you all said something like, but you can't eat fat and lose fat. Dr. Fung's message has been similar. So what gives? Can I slash when can I eat fat? Do I need to go low fat until I lose weight? Yours in confusion, Sarah. All right. I would like to add one word to that quote where you said, but you can't eat fat and lose fat. I would like to add the word overeat, but you can't overeat fat and lose fat. I think that's a key distinction. You really can't overeat anything, you know, beyond what your body can process and expect to need to tap into your fuel stores. But I think the key is we got the message that fat is, quote, not bad. 
And like so many things, we were like, oh, that must mean fat is unlimited. We can eat as much fat as we want. Then we see people, you know, doing the ketogenic diet where they are severely restricting carbs and eating predominantly fat, a higher percentage of their diet is fat than anything else. You know, they're certainly not restricting fat. We've all got friends who have lost a lot of fat eating a lot of fat on the ketogenic diet. Personally, I did not lose fat on the ketogenic diet. Didn't work well for my body. And yes, when I was losing weight, I ate carbs and plenty of fat. But I did it in a, you know, fairly short eating window. And if you added it all up, I was not overeating the amount of food that my body needed to still have reason to tap into my fat stores. I think that's key. There is no there is no freebie with with eating that is like you can really just overeat this and still lose weight. That's that's just a very important concept because the confusion about fat has been rampant lately. I, I think. What do you think about that, Melanie? The whole idea of fat being unlimited. Yeah, I really liked what you said about. You can't really overeat anything. But I was thinking actually to our first question, alcohol is the only macronutrient that the body doesn't transform to fat. It will probably kill you before that happened. Not recommended. Not recommended. The point is everything we put into our body can be like turned into fat and fat happens to be the easiest to do so. Because it's already fat. It's easy to store away. Yeah. It's super easy. Carbs have to be converted into fat in the liver and it's a very inefficient process and most of them just end up getting burned rather than have that happen. Protein can be turned to fat, but it's not preferred. The body doesn't really tend to do that except when you're, you know, overeating it like a lot. But fat, basically it's like if your daily calories provide more, and I don't like the word calorie, but provides more energy to your body than you are burning or getting rid of, you're probably going to store some of that. And it's probably going to be from the fat that you're storing, if that makes sense. So it's just crazy because the media and news and everything, we just like extremes. So like, it's also ironic because the extremes (laughs) probably are what work, like going super low carb does work and going super low fat does work. But in the process, we, I think, unnecessarily demonize these macronutrients or make give others the halo effect and make them think they're free foods. Exactly. It works. I think we had those two extremes. Oh, fat's not bad. It must be amazing. I can really just eat a stick of butter. Yeah. Or like now what's killing me is people keep asking me for my recommended genetic lab test analyzer and people keep posting in my Facebook group, which everybody should join, by the way. It's called IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Although we might change the name because we're about to hit 5,000 and then apparently... You know, you can't change it anymore. But in any case, people keep asking me my recommended genetic service and they'll post their reports. And like so many of the reports will say to lose weight, eat more polyunsaturated fatty acids, which I keep talking about, which are PUFAs. And the ironic thing about that is there's actually a new book out. Do you remember we had both read Deep Nutrition, Jen? Yeah, she's got a new book. Yeah. So Kate Shanahan, she has a new book called The Fat Burn Fix. And she actually, it is about using body fat for fuel and it's about eating fat. But she actually talks about, I haven't read it yet, but I've listened to a lot of interviews and she's coming on my show, which I'm really excited about. But she actually talks about how actually it's even more nuanced than just calories and fat. It's actually the types of fat can affect things. So like polyunsaturated fats I talk about a lot, for example, like they're not really meant as a fuel source because historically we, we weren't taking in large amounts and they can actually make our fat cells 
more inflammatory and not very efficient with using fat. So then we actually gain weight. So it's just, it's very complicated and very nuanced. And that's why I think it's so confusing because yes, fat can make you fat. (laughs) Certain types of fat are more likely to be inflammatory than other types of fat. There's just a lot there. But as far as like things you've heard, some people might be able to eat a lot of butter and sour cream and lose weight and others might not. And then some people might be able to do that for some amount of time and then that stops working. Some people might feel like they can eat whatever they want and others might feel like they can't. It's just, we're all just so unique and there's so many factors involved. Yes, you can eat fat and lose fat and you can eat fat and not lose fat. That's right. (laughs) That is true. So can you, and when can you eat fat? Do you need to go low fat until you lose weight? It really just depends on what you're doing. If you want to eat fat and lose weight, it's probably, and these are generalizations, but if you want to eat a lot of fat, you probably benefit from being lower carb and then you might be able to eat more fat and lose weight. If you have moderate carbs and high fat, it's probably going to have to be calorie restricted. If that happens via fasting, I don't know. Would you agree with that statement, Jen? Again, that goes back to you can't overeat if your goal is to lose fat and lose weight, you know, that you have to be mindful of the quantity of food that you're eating. And, you know, I talk in Fast Feast Repeat, I go into specifics about why counting calories is not the best way to do that, but the amount you eat does make a difference. So that's just, you know, like I said earlier, that the end of my weight loss journey, when I was trying to get to my goal in the spring of 2015, because I wanted to go shopping for my new new spring and summer wardrobe, and I didn't, you know, I wanted to be smaller so I could do that. I delayed processed foods and I delayed alcohol for about 10 weeks and I lost at the rate of about two pounds per week. And a typical dinner during that period of time was a huge baked potato with a lot of butter and sour cream and maybe some vegetables on the side, maybe some berries with heavy cream, but no sweetener. I ate until I was satisfied, but it was in a pretty tight, you know, one to two hour window. And so You know, I don't know how many calories I was eating because I wasn't counting them. I didn't feel like I was over-restricting because I was full and satisfied. My body was happy. I was losing weight. You know, it worked really well for me at that time. Was I eating, quote, fewer calories? Probably. But like I said, I wasn't counting them. So go by the results that you're seeing. If you are slowly and steadily losing weight, that's a sign that what you're doing is working. If you are not losing weight over time, as time goes on and your weekly average is not trending downward, that is an indication that you need to tweak something. So you can tweak your food choices. You might think, gosh, I really, you know, have stepped up my use of cheese as a, you know, a part of my plate. Maybe I could eat a little less cheese or put a little less butter, or maybe my window is longer. Maybe I've reintroduced desserts and perhaps desserts are not serving me well during this period of time and I'm trying to lose weight. You know, there's a lot more flexibility once you get to your goal range with what you eat and how much you eat, but you have to get there first. So I was restrictive in that period of time. I wasn't having processed foods, ultra processed foods, I wanted to add, and I wasn't having alcohol. So you just have to tweak and see what works for you. One other thought I thought about was like MCT fats, for example, like MCT oil or like the C8 version specifically. That's another proverbial wrench and everything because those actually aren't as easily stored as fat. It's just so complicated. But 
say you take in 3000 calories of MCT oil, regardless of what percentage of that gets stored, even if that wasn't a lot, if you're taking it in the context of all the rest of your meal, it's likely that all the rest of your meal will get stored, if that makes sense. Remember, it was a long time, well, a few weeks ago, month and a half ago, two months ago, I mentioned that I was going to try to eat for my DNA analysis of the low fat. It was right after we had read Mastering Diabetes. Yeah. I was going to try it. I learned two things. Number one, it's really hard to eat 15% of your intake as fat. That's really hard. (laughs) Very, very hard. And number two, my body felt great while I was doing it. And that was something interesting, but it's really hard to maintain. So I have backed off of that. I just wanted to, I'd never given an update or did I? I don't think I did. You didn't. What was the hard aspect of it? Well, the hard aspect of it was you have to cook everything from scratch yourself. Because, you know, I like to use the meal services, the meal kits. None of them come in with that low of a fat percentage. So you have to really just do your own thing. I learned that it's the meal planning is really hard for me. And even though I liked the foods, my husband did not. He was like, "Uh uh-uh, no. What is this? Why are we eating this? I'm like, it's delicious. And he was like, what? No, no, it isn't. So he did not find it to be delicious at all. I did actually find it to be delicious. You know, because I do great with grains and beans and things like that. But I did find that I don't like any kind of substitutes at all, which I already knew. Like, you know, you're going to try to make something resemble something else, like something resembling mayonnaise, but isn't mayonnaise. No, uh-uh, forget it. I'd rather just use a little bit less real mayonnaise if I'm, you know, trying to watch my fat. But again, I was experimenting not because I was trying to lose weight, but I wanted to just see how I felt. And my body did feel great that way, but it was really, really difficult. And it made me think of the days that I was eating low fat back in the early 90s and got so skinny, but I was using all those substitutes and they're just not good. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like I said, so many people post about it in my Facebook group. And I can't tell you how many times people have this epiphany where they're in the comments and they're like, Oh yeah, come to think about it. The lowest I ever weighed was when I was doing the low fat diet back in the day. Yeah, I know. I know. That was the lowest I ever weighed. So, you know, if I did need to lose weight, I'm I'm certain that 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 would be my strategy because my body responds really well to it and I like the food, you know, like like coconut milk, for example. You know, making something that that's cooked with coconut milk has a great flavor. You know, with the some beans and some, you know those Thai flavors, some rice. I do great with that kind of food. I feel wonderful. Do you like coconut aminos? You know, they're okay. Oh, really? Do you like teriyaki sauce? I do like teriyaki sauce, but I like a more, I don't know. I should know you wouldn't like them that much. We don't like the same. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> who we have different to. taste buds. Yeah, we, we have different taste buds. Well, you know, my college roommate and I, we could split an egg. I liked the runny yolk. She liked the whites. So, Oh, I love the whites. Yeah. Right? See? So having a good friend that you can share food with because you eat the opposite is a good thing. We would go to breakfast in college. I'm not kidding. We would go to breakfast and we would get fried eggs and we were, you know, really poor and we'd used our meal money. So we're trying to, you know, make our meal dollars stretch. We would get two fried eggs and toast and we would, we would cut a a circle around the yolk and I would have the yolks and she would have the whites. Like that's really what we did. Oh, and I'm going to see her tomorrow at the beach. I'm so excited. Although ironically, the yolk is really nutritious. I do. That's my favorite part. The yolk. Remember when I was doing like low-carb Atkins in college, 
and I went to IHOP and I got an omelet. And this was when I was measuring my ketosis with ketone urinary strips still. And it kicked me out and that stopped my ketones. And I realized I Googled it and there was flour in IHOP omelets. And I was so shocked that they didn't tell you this on the menu. I wonder if they do now. They might now, but there was flour. Yeah, they use like flour in the batter or they did. And I was like, I felt so misled. I was like, this should be written. <laughs> I agree that, you, you know, you think you're getting something that works and full of flour. Yeah. Oh, sorry. One last point. I totally forgot the reason I brought up the genetic test, them recommending like eating polyunsaturated fats. So I recently brought on, it probably will have air by the time this airs, the founder of Self-Hacked, uh, which is my favorite website of all time. He has a new genetic analyzer called Self-Decode. Jen, do you have your raw genetic data? I do. Self-decode, is that the one you're suggesting? Yeah, it's incredible. And what's ironic is I brought him on, I interviewed him, I got the platform. It's amazing. You upload your data and then you can look through, you can generate lots of different reports. It's very nuanced. It's also attached. They have an entire personal health blog they're creating with like the content. It's just really amazing. And I asked him, I told him the reason I love Self-Hacked was... It always had the go-to information with all the studies. I never felt like it was cherry picking. It felt very credible. And he said the way he formed that site was he would have a topic and then he hired university students and scientists and people like that who weren't even remotely involved in health. And he just told them to, he just gave them a subject and he told them to like find every study they could about it and write everything they could about it. But they weren't at all connected to health or diet. Oh, I love that idea. So they weren't trying to like prove something by cherry picking. Yes. I was like, that makes so much sense. That's why you're my favorite website. <laughs> like, And it's the same way with him creating self-decode. And the last part of the story, sorry, this is kind of long. I've been telling people in my Facebook group because people have been like, what genetic analyzer do you recommend? And I'm like, well, I have one coming, but I, I can't tell you yet. I realized I was like, I'm just kind of assuming it's not going to recommend polyunsaturated fats to lose weight because he hadn't had the diet report yet, but I think it's up now. But I emailed him and I was like, uh, just a quick question. Do, does it ever recommend polyunsaturated fats for weight loss? And then he went through and looked and he said, no, it only recommends omega-3s, potentially like monos. He said, if it ever tells somebody to take in omega-6s for weight loss to let him know and he will fix it right away. <laughs> so yeah. So if anybody would like that, they can get it at selfdeco.com slash Melanie Avalon. And there's a discount code there as well. I think you would really like it, Jen. Probably so. I have one that I, I used. I mean, it's the only one I've used. So when people are like, which one did you use? I'm like, well, this is the one I'm, I used, but that doesn't mean it's like fabulous. I'm not necessarily endorsing this one or recommending this one. It's just the only one I've used. So I'm not saying this is like the best one. I interviewed him, I can hardcore, I could definitely endorse it. And the reason I, I haven't just uploaded it to a million more is because, I mean, I don't need any more confirmation that I know that worked well for my body. Does that make sense? I don't need to find one that says it because I, I know it. This one is like much more specific. So like we were talking about, we go out into a big discussion on CBD, which is actually really interesting. And like why, you know, because a lot of people find they react to CBD and other people don't. Apparently there's a lot of genes involved with that. So you can dive deep into a lot of stuff like TH1 versus TH2 dominance, CBD, like your susceptibility to COVID, like so many things. It's not just going to be like one little report of like, eat more PUFAs to lose weight. 
Yeah, and the one that I use does have some weird recommendations that you can tell are just like generic health recommendations that they got somewhere. And it makes no sense. (laughs) You're like, I'm like, look beyond that. You're right, that doesn't make any sense. But you have to take it with a grain of salt, you know. I remember talking with you, actually. I don't remember what it was, but do you remember me showing you one of the reports and like clearly it was skewed towards low fat or against saturated fat? I don't remember what it was. Yes, it said, mine said, for example, my report said less likely to gain weight with saturated fat, but then the recommendation was don't eat too much saturated fat. And like that's a little bit contradictory right there. Yeah, like they were parroting back advice. Yeah. Again, so that link was selfdeco.com slash Melanie Avalon. Yay, Janes. All right. Are we ready to move on to the next one? Yes. Okay. This is from Anna. The subject is chlorophyll. Hi, Melanie. I just listened to episode 162 and you spoke about liquid chlorophyll you're taking to improve your iron levels. I looked through the material slash links listed under that episode, but I don't see a link to what you're using. I also checked stuff we like, but couldn't find it. Could you please send it to me? I've been dealing with low iron levels for the past few years, so I was super excited when I heard you talk about chlorophyll. Side note, I love you ladies and the wonderful job you're doing in changing so many lives. I started IF in October of last year after stumbling upon your podcast, and I am so thankful I did. Big hugs, Anna. I was just thinking about how when people randomly stumble upon our podcast, do you think most people listen to the most recent one and then they start at the beginning? Or do they like work their way backwards? It depends on the person, you know? Some people are more likely to start at the beginning and work their way through like that sequentially, which is funny because I would actually like to go back and start listening. We probably, how much we've learned since then. I know so much more than than I knew in 2017. Man, good times. We know more in general when I say we, like the royal we of science knows more now. Yeah, always learning. So as for the question, chlorophyll, I thought I put it on the website. If not, it's definitely at melanieavalon.com slash stuff I like, but I think it's at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like now. Yeah, I had interviewed Terry Cochran who wrote a book called Wildatarian and she was talking about how chlorophyll is like the hemoglobin in a way of plants and it could actually help boost iron levels and help your blood form more iron. I, I actually really want to do an episode on iron metabolism. I don't know why people don't talk about it more because it's it's like one of the most important minerals in our body, which also happens to be extremely inflammatory and like really hard to regulate. And people are always, you know, often anemic or on the flip side, have iron overload and it's so hard to get it right. I will say I heard that it's good to try to get iron like a lot of different ways and also not too much at once because apparently if you get too much at once, there's an insulin for iron. It's called hipparin, I think, and it regulates iron absorption. It's kind of like if you take in too much sugar and it can affect insulin release, which can affect sugar levels and be kind of crazy. Apparently, iron can do the same thing. Like if you have too much iron, it can affect the the regulating hormone of it. So I've heard it's good to like just get iron from a lot of sources. So I've been supplementing with like ancestral supplements. They make a grass-fed spleen and a liver. I've been doing the chlorophyll, been having some steak, but yeah. Jen, do you have iron problems at all? 
Oh, I always have had iron problems. Yes. My whole life from, like, I remember as early as ever going to the doctor and then like, you're anemic. So, yeah. It's rough. And, you know, I feel great. So I'm always really surprised because I feel so good. And I guess it makes me wonder if, because I, I like old half-heartedly, every time I've ever been to the doctor and they said, oh, you're super anemic, I've tried to start taking something and I'll do it half-heartedly for a little while and then I always stop. But I feel so good. That's why really I want to find the perfect person to interview because I want to do a deep, deep, deep dive because it's not just iron, it's iron, iron saturation, ferritin, hemoglobin, like there's so many things. I just want to understand it. Like maybe I would feel superhuman if my iron was really high. I don't know. You know, maybe I just think I just think I well high. You know, normal. Maybe I just think I feel good, but I feel like I do. So I'm actually really jealous of people that have low iron but aren't anemic. There's actually a theory that the reason women live longer than men is because of our low iron levels. Well, that's interesting because iron itself is very oxidative, can do a lot of damage. That's why it's such a tragedy that it's so important. I mean, because I've really never done a lot of reading about it. I just go by, well, I feel so good. I'll try to take something and then I stop. The only thing I ever have continued to take long term is magnesium. Yeah, magnesium can be a game changer. I mean, I take vitamins here and there. There, You know, there's a brand of vitamins called Ritual. They sponsor intermittent fasting stories. And I I do take those. My husband is the one who hands them to me. He's like, here, take your vitamin. (laughs) He keeps me going because I always forget to take things, but... Magnesium is part of my brushing my teeth at night routine. I brush my teeth, I take my magnesium, I go to bed. All right. Shall we go on to our next question? Yes. This is from Amy. The subject is really no pickle juice. And Amy says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I am loving IF and your podcast. My question is regarding pickle juice. Sometimes during the day, I will have a few tablespoons of dill pickle juice. Will this break my fast or is it considered a dirty fast? Thanks for keeping me motivated, Amy. Well, Amy, I would really encourage you to get a copy of Fast, Feast, Repeat and read their two chapters about the clean fast. One of them tells us that, you know, why we need to keep the fast clean. And by the way, in that chapter, I explain there is really not such thing that I would ever call a dirty fast. And I know, you know, like, well, if there's something called a clean fast, there must be something called a dirty fast. No, I think that you're either fasting clean or you're not fasting. So get those words dirty fast out of your brain. I don't love using those words at all. One of the things that we want to avoid during the fast is food flavors or actual food. So, you know, you kind of have to ask yourself, dill pickle juice is somewhere in the continuum of actual food to food flavor, but it's definitely a food flavor and it might even be actual food. I mean, if you think about it, it's got vinegar in there. So one thing we want to avoid is a food flavor. We can all agree dill pickle juice is a food flavor Whether it's an actual food or not, you know, obviously you wouldn't eat a pickle and say it's fasting, but I would strongly encourage you not to have dill pickle juice during the fast. So you you might want to think, why are you having it? And I can think of two reasons. You know, maybe number one is you feel like you need to replenish your electrolytes, in which case have some actual electrolytes. Dill pickle juice is probably not going to be your number one source of like amazing electrolyte supplementation. Can I jump in there? Yes. My go-to recommended electrolyte supplementation. It's the only one I can find that's like... Oh, I wonder if you're going to say what I'm getting ready to say. We have a brand we recommend. Okay, say it. Element? Nope. 
<laughs> we recommend Concentrice. Oh, okay. The drops? Yep. I've taken those too. If you're specifically on like a ketogenic diet and feel like you're getting keto flu or like you really need to address electrolytes on a therapeutic level, Rob Wolf makes Element. It's L-M-N-T. They formulated it with the Keto Gains guys. And apparently it's like a game changer for people that are, especially like athletes or ketogenic diets with fasting. They have an unflavored version. Mineral drops I like as well. Would you like to tell? Yeah. Concentrice is the one. It's just on Amazon. Look for Concentrice. It doesn't have anything funky added to it. So if you think you need electrolytes, pickle juice is probably not giving you what you need. But really, I think a lot of people drink it just because they're missing that little flavor of food. And it makes you feel like you're having food, which is really a strong indication that you don't want to have it during the fast because we're trying to take a break from food flavors. That's like one of the main points of fasting. So if you're like, man, this is delicious. I love to have a hit of it throughout the day. That definitely is a sign you shouldn't have it. And if you're like, wow, I need pickle juice for the electrolytes, then you're going to really be amazed when you take some real electrolytes. It also, and like Jen mentioned this, but If you look up pickle juice, it seems like it does have trace, but they're there, of carbs, potentially fat, and protein. The thing about amino acids is it only takes very, very tiny amounts of amino acids to hinder autophagy. So that would be another reason you'd not want to be taking pickle juice, potentially, during the fast. So if if you're taking it for the, the purpose of electrolytes, there's a much better way. But, you know, I mean, I'm the kind of person that could drink pickle juice just because I love the flavor of it, which is another reason, like I said, why not to have it. I love a dirty martini. You know, I, when I was a little girl, I would go drink olive juice directly out of the olive jar just for like a little delicious snack. Is that weird? Very few foods I don't like. Don't like olives, don't like olive juice, and don't like pickle juice, <laughs> even though I love cucumbers. But something happens to them and then they just... I don't like pickles. I love pickles. Don't like cucumbers. I literally eat cucumbers by the pound and and will not touch a pickle. Mm -mm. I'm the opposite. Not surprised. (laughs) All right. So Amy, several reasons to find something else during the fast for you. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions to the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 171. You can follow us on Instagram at ifpodcast. You can follow me at Melanie Avalon, Jen at Jen Stevens. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. All right. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope. I think that's it. I will say, not to end on a down note, is stuff mostly reopening in Augusta or are things shutting down a little bit again? You know, that's an interesting question. We do have, like, you know, my morning coffee group. We've gone to Starbucks the past few weeks, but this Saturday it was closed again. We, I was on my way out the door and I got a message from one of my friends. She's like, it's closed. So things are, you know, doing a little more shutting down. It's just, it's weird. You know, I was shopping before we recorded. I was at Costco and we're all wearing our masks and I'm just looking around and I'm like, you know, who would have thought six months ago that now there'd be like a mask industry and we'd have designer masks and we all would have these different masks. And I'm like, this is just bizarre. Like it literally, it feels like a movie, like in the movies when they have like future type movies. But I mean, how quickly we shifted. You remember in January where I'm like, my my niece just had to come back from China because of coronavirus. And you're like, what's that? And now here we are. I've got several masks in my purse. 
it's so interesting to have had like a pretty much like an extended conversation with an update like once a week for like the past three years because you can see how things change. It's true. Okay. We shall see. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.